If you're going to open my show, you better do it the right way. Hello and welcome to Imps WWE Adventures podcast episode 2 here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. My name is Matt Mayer aka Imp. Quick look back at the WWE week that was this week a lot more normal. This is your genuine week to week what it kind of is going to feel like covering these three shows. No pay-per-views, no specials. This is just building to stuff. And you know what, they were, to be fair, when I say building to stuff, it was the season premieres for both SmackDown and Raw. Not that wrestling has season premieres, but if you market it so, because it's TV season, WWE doing their classic thing of, oh, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> this is just like, fine. Oh, I want to have my own awards show. Oh, I want to be part of the Super Bowl. Oh, there's a World Cup on. <laughs> so there's all that stuff. WWE do tend to jump in on it. And yeah, so the season premiere time, SmackDown and Raw. Also, NXT was building up to Halloween Havoc. So even though it was a, it was a small standard episode, of NXT, like the first one of those I get to review. They're still gearing towards something that's happening. So let's get into uh, SmackDown first. Let's jump straight into it. But I do know someone who has. Brought out by John Cena. Elevated by Roman and a main event against Solo. It wasn't the LA Night show because it felt like, oh, Roman Reigns is back, the story can continue. It's like, oh, that goes back now, we can actually get on with stuff. It was about building LA Night without LA Night, like, without it feeling like the LA Night show. It still felt like a great variety show that wasn't too centered on stuff. Plus, I think the reason that it feels that way is just because the backstage stuff was still all with Roman and the bloodline and him reacting to what's been happening without him there. Almost hindsight booking the J stuff to make sense. The thing that works for me is when Vince used to hindsight book, the problem was he'd always try and do twists and things reacting off of what had happened when there was clearly no plan or idea when he did it. The reason why this hindsight booking works is because they're doing it through the lens of Roman Reigns reacting to it. So they're not trying to adjust the story or create something to make it all make sense. They're instead putting a character who's not been there who then reacts to what's been happening and in a way that automatically starts hindsight booking it and sending it in a new direction. Roman immediately trying to manipulate just like Jimmy was saying he would do. It's like, oh, you know what? I love that. The whole thing with Jimmy was he was, just look at the way that Roman manipulates. I'm saving you from all that nonsense, only for him to keep Jay connected <laughs> through that stuff. I love Roman immediately manipulating Jimmy just like the old days. Even if it didn't really initially make sense for Jimmy to rejoin the bloodline to me, Roman's reaction makes sense. His reaction is consistent with the Roman character. Everybody else being consistent helps steady the boats. <laughs> There's three others rowing perfectly. Solo, Heyman and Reigns are all playing their parts. Per- I say playing their parts, I mean the way their characters are written to react to the stuff <laughs> that's happening. And arguably it all fits the Jimmy character apart from the actions why he's joining the bloodline. Purely because of what the character's been through, it doesn't really click for me. But the way Roman's manipulating him, 100% clicks. The way Jimmy reacts to Roman's manipulating, 100% works. <laughs> it's a weird one. It's just, there's one part that doesn't work, but everything else does. But at the end of the day, because the other pieces are working, it's perfectly fine for this one gripe I have to not click. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. All of this really is about elevating LA Knight. It's just like the, like, well, a lot of the things I've interested in is also like the production of stuff, the way something's presented, the amount of time like allocated pieces is a TV show. Like when you heard the criticism back in like the Divas era of none of them are any good anyway type thing. Well, my reaction was, well, how could you possibly know? <laughs> because we're given like two minutes. There's like, oh, they always felt like a piss break. Yeah, 
because that's the structure of the show. It was telling you this is the break. It was less that, oh, it was a break because they weren't good. Like, no, no, no. The show was structured for this to be the break. <laughs> this is editing. This is production. So basically what I'm saying here is time was allocated to LA Knight. Production was allocated to LA Knight. And it's slowly been happening with his entrances when he comes out. No longer is it your standard film, the Titan Tron, or feel the bloke in the ring. Now for LA Knight, they get the camera to the crowd and they get that angle just to really give the depth to the arena as the crowd stands up with LA Knight's music hitting, similar to what they did with Stone Cold, similar to The Rock. And yes, there is that thing of fantasying always similar to the the rock and stone cold for me this is them leaning into it and i don't mean leaning into it into like the the way they're writing his character i don't mean the way leaning into it into kind of programs they're giving him i mean the way they are shooting and producing him is like those guys they're doing it already yeah he's taken massive inspiration from both of their styles especially in the way he does his promos he's like a mix of the two but the thing that hits me is wwe are leaning into it and it's not just in the way that they're writing his character. It's the way that you frame him when he's in an interview. It's the way that you angle the shots when he's talking. It's the way that you shoot the arena as he comes out. Rock and Stokehold, they both got the arena standing up shot. Makes him feel really important. Like, that's a huge... CM Punk, as over as he was, he never got that in WWE. Because it's routinely happening now. Which, wherever they go, they can set it up knowing, okay, when his music hits, there's going to be a reaction. So we can frame it up just like this. Part of me is surprised they don't do it for Cody. Of course, oh, that's why you don't see it, because the lights go down. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was trying to think, why don't they do it for Cody? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the lights do go out. <laughs> that is a massive, uh, massive hindrance to get in the crowd reaction shot. With LA Knight, the, the production is behind him, and, sim- and they're leaning into the similarities between uh, him and The Rock. One thing I really like as well, which... I swear this happened with The Rock as well, where you get the reflection in the lenses of the guy that he's talking to. It's like, oh, it works so well. The reflection of Roman Reigns in LA Knight's glasses. It's like, uh, that that works really well. It's an amazing, uh, just a shout out to the production for that. This is really weird. I'm giving so many plaudits to WWE production. <laughs> it's been one of my massive gripes, really, for WWE. It's just the way they produce their shows, especially NXT. Just it rubs me the wrong way. And I feel, I feel like again, this isn't the week to go into it for NXT. Evidently, their time's been allocated to SmackDown. I'll get to your production at some point, NXT. <laughs> I will do it. I promise. With, Sm- with SmackDown this week, uh, there were the production things. Was like, okay, that was odd. <laughs> cough, cough, and the cowardice later. <laughs> but still, the way they're presenting LA Knight, they are filming him as a big star and even though he hasn't had the storylines to back it up this, this is the one this is the elevation it's like they are believing in him but before this program they were already filming him this way it's more than just where are you booked on the show obviously that includes like timing and things and that's what i meant with the divas era that well they were never going to be stars really because they were never allocated the time to get you invested in that it's my main gripe with aew and their women's division well of course like a lot of the women are getting over because they're not given the time to even try so. You allocate the TV time, you, re- re- you structure your show a little bit better, you will find the time to get this stuff over. Because uh, creatively, the crazy thing is, and especially with WWE Critique, this is something I've faced over and over again when trying to explain stuff to people. <laughs> the best example for me was when AEW had Brian Danielson defeating all of the Dark Order people on his way to facing Hangman Page, and they were doing it in all the Dark Order people's hometowns. Each one, but like hometown after hometown, one after the other. It's like, oh, that sounds really. Like, how, can, how can they do that? I was like, well, that's because you control the entire creative process. You can just book it. <laughs> you just book that. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. You just write it so it's so. 
<laughs> really not that difficult. For me, that's that's the kind of thing with WWE, especially in the Vince era, just trying to explain. You can structure the show differently so you find time for things. You can completely change your ways of production, the way things are written. You can just change it all. <laughs> uh, it's not the way it is, and then that's set in stone. No, no you can change every single inch of this. <laughs> so much can change. For me, yeah, Ellie Knight, a great example. They have changed how they filmed him these past couple of months, and it's really shown, and he feels like a bigger deal. The biggest one is filming the the way they're filming the audience for his pops. It's not a close-up or anything, it's getting the mass amount, it's getting the right angle as well to really give you that depth of the audience as they're doing it. They're giving him the special shots as he's walking down to the ring, especially the creative camera work as well. Cody also gets creative camera work like in his matches as well. He's the one that tends to get a new a creative idea in his match, especially for like a camera angle that makes you feel more personally in there. It's pretty something that happened in this SmackDown show as well. Like they had a guy run up the stairs and film Cody as he got his hot tag from the perspective of his corner. It's little things like that. It's not just what, how do you film, it's who do you give that filming style to as well. They are filming LA Knight as a big deal, and Roman Reigns is another example of how to film a guy to make it feel like a huge deal. Huge fan of this segment. Also, you had the exchange between John Cena and Roman before, and just kind of like dancing around the subject of Cena facing Roman. But here, they used John Cena's presence to elevate LA Knight to Roman, and then in a match, convince you of the words later. So, again, this show was structured to get LA Knight over in your mind as a guy that could face Roman Reigns. For me, and them doing it in Saudi Arabia is a really good workaround because you get the hype of the US crowds getting behind him, but you don't then get the vocal disappointment of the US fans on the show itself <laughs> because the Saudi Arabian crowd are just going to cheer it. And also, again, for the story beat that came later with Roman with him manipulating Jimmy into believing what Jey Uso is doing as champion is a slight on the bloodline. It fed into Raw, which I was not expecting because my mind is still on the way that Vince books, even though it's been over a year of Triple H. I watch a storyline thing set up, and I don't expect it to be followed. I expect it to be followed the next week on SmackDown in the most predictable and boring way. <laughs> it was just a setup to work on that show. Because Vince would constantly not know what Chekhov's gun was. <laughs> it just seemingly just didn't get it. Why would you show the gun if you're not going to immediately fire it? Everyone knows the gun's there now. That's, that's not the point of the gun. <laughs> he shows the gun, so the audience knows it's there. Then the anticipation builds for the gun being fired. Triple H seems to get that. So you get a lot more gun introduced, and then it fires later when you're not expecting it. And that's what it was with Jimmy. They told you about Jimmy. In a way, they kind of fooled you by having him try to interfere in the main event here. But it felt like the actual gun being fired was Monday Night Raw. They caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> I still don't expect it. I've been conditioned for years. And my conditioning when it comes to WWE TV is slowly being broken down, but the instincts are still there. Just like the wrestling fans who are chanting what during a promo that you really shouldn't be chanting what during, but you've been conditioned, that is what you do. Now, no, must break habits. <laughs> I feel like Triple H is slowly kind of eroding those fan conditioning habits. Anyway, let's move on with the show. Nick Aldis was introduced as the new general manager, very peculiarly. <laughs> so Adam Pearce is out in the ring, Triple H gets his entrance, Triple H congratulating Adam Pearce on all the work that he's been doing. It still feels weird to me just because Adam Pearce's character, the way that it was introduced into the role, was just done so... It was handled as badly as the rest of the product on the Vince at that time. For me, it's a perfect encapsulation of the era. It's like, what was Adam Pearce's character as the general manager? You know what? I have no idea because it changed to fit whatever was needed for the storyline that he was booking for. He didn't have a character. He was authority that worked around for whatever the storyline he was authoritating over needed. 
he wasn't a character, he was a plot device or a narrative device to set up the thing. He might as well have been a phone or a laptop. <laughs> he was not a, even not a thing. But under Triple H, he started to get a little bit, bit, bit more character. But for me, that kind of stain of you are basically a laptop never really erased from me. The introducing Nick Eldis, not only does it give the character of the general manager for SmackDown just immediately a massive oomph. There's just something there right out the gate. But it also has some character to new to Adam Pearce, who's moved over to Monday Night Raw and feels immediately in Monday Night Raw just felt a lot more established. It felt like they, this is a groundwork for, to actually build a character off so that when he books a thing, we can understand why he's booking it as Adam Pearce rather than booking it as representative of WWE. The, the character wasn't a character. <laughs> so maybe he's got room to actually grow at this point. Out comes Dominic Mysterio, huge booze, but he then uses that to introduce Nicaldis feeding off of the heat of Dominic Mysterio to kind of now give Nick Aldis some cheers. And for me, the reason that it's weird is it turns out Nick Aldis was just ringside the entire time. <laughs> like, no down-the-ramp introduction, no big kind of hoo-ha presentation. He's just there in a John Cena-esque blue suit, steps into the ring, and it's a really weird introduction. He's just there. There's no pop from the audience. It's the anti-pop. It's like they've done absolutely everything they can to make sure there's as little reaction for Nick Aldis as possible when he is revealed and enters that ring. The crowd can already see him. He's just there. Dominic Mysterio gets all the heat. Triple H goes, well, this guy's new manager. He walks in. Well, the crowd doesn't pop because he's been there in front of them the entire time. <laughs> so it's in a night where I, I'm applauding the production of WWE. Part of me thinks they were so on it elsewhere. This must have been purposeful. They must have been going for this. Like maybe they're just saving, trying to save the pop for Kevin Owens. It's almost like they wanted no reaction Nick Aldis, for Nick Aldis to then build up what's coming next. So he gets to deliver the amazing line to Dominic Mysterio, shaking his hand saying, oh, I'm a massive fan of your dad. <laughs> and the crowd goes, oh, this guy's got some character. <laughs> Suddenly they start to react to him with his insults and things, the way that he talks to a Triple H and Adam Pearce. Then he brings out the much-rumoured draft E for Friday Night Smackdown in the exchange for Jey Uso going over to Monday Night Raw. And it was nice that Nick Aldis got to do that, so he got the cheer himself for that reaction, just so he starts to feel like that authority figure. Out comes Kevin Owens. He's part of the show. Still as Dominic Mysterio. Done. It was a nice introduction for everybody. So Nick Aldis gets some of that momentum rub from Kevin Owens as you establish his character. Then he also got to set up the exchange between Jay Cargill and Charlotte Flair. And he also got to interrupt Roman Reigns and Ellie Knight later in the night to say, not here, not here. Rest of the show, genuinely, doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, Ellie uh, Knight versus Solo was the main event, and that it did a great job of establishing Ellie Knight at the top and also incorrectly convincing you that the Jimmy Uso Chekhov could have been fired when it hadn't. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, that's good booking. That's good fighting. <laughs> well done you, well done you. But that was SmackDown, that was SmackDown. It was about building LA Knight, but successfully didn't feel like it was the LA Knight show. It still felt like Roman Reigns' show. And this one felt like a season premiere. And it actually felt like things were being shaken up and progressing from what had previously happened. Yeah, but the mixture of like Jade Cargill, Nick Aldis, Kevin Owens, LA Knight getting his elevation off of uh, Roman, the return of Roman helping as well. Him finally interacting with the new Jimmy Uso and Bloodline relationship. I've only mentioned certain things. <laughs> the rest of the show was kind of like, eh, whatever. Successful season premiere, well done you. And let's use that to bounce onto Monday Night Raw. Jey Uso's on another level right now. They don't call him main event Jey Uso for nothing, you know. Oh, wait. That's, that's Jimmy Uso. What the hell? Jimmy. 
once again flattening his own twin brother. The title matches, there were title changes, there were storylines progression, progressing and kind of building off and stuff. Overall for the episode, I thought the beats they created were all great. You had a big boy bash Intercontinental Championship, which is definitely worth checking out. And you had a really fun tag team main event. Because that's how I'd, I'd explain the uh, Judgment Day versus Cody and Jey Uso uh, tag matches. I'm not screaming from the rooftops that I've seen one of the best matches I've ever seen. Or one of the match of years or anything. But they're really fun. And then that level. Three star WWE TV matches that are just really fun. <laughs> With interferences galore. <laughs> so it's that kind of style. But the show was about that kind of storyline. Like Sammy, uh, Sammy no mates out over here without his Kevin Owens addressing the crowd. And as the other people kind of got introduced throughout the show, I was in my head I was just joking that Raw's becoming like a bloodline anonymous recovery program. It's <laughs> just like, the way they're all talking to each other. With uh, Drew McIntyre, just not over what had happened with the bloodline. And Seth Rollins being like, just move on from the bloodline, my friend. Sami Zayn uh, doing that whole interaction with Ke with reacting off of Kevin Owens being drafted away. And the whole Jey Uso relationship stuff. Things with Cody as well. <laughs> it's just like, everybody is reacting and reeling during their recovery program after their time with the bloodline. I wrote that down partway through the show. I think it was like after a backstage segment with like Sammy and someone. Was it Sammy and Drew? But then in the main event, suddenly I was just like, oh wait, no. That feeling was on purpose. And it all came down to a lovely little bow. I suddenly realised me making that joke of, oh, it's becoming a bit of a uh, anonymous recovery programme over here was entirely intentional. <laughs> That's what they wanted me to feel because of the end where it, it turns out it was an episode about people not being able to escape the bloodline and just not being able to put it to a side. Then at the end of the show, the bloodline costs somebody some titles. <laughs> the bloodline isn't letting them go. It isn't letting them move on. And I was just like, oh, yes, that is good writing. That is good booking. Good stuff. That's good shit, pal. But yeah, Judgment Day won back the titles. The match itself in the main event had interferences galore, like Sami Zayn comes out, Dominic Mysterio comes out for his heated stuff. But J Jimmy Uso is the one that comes out to swing us into the title switch. And it's like, ah, look, the B.A., Bloodline Anonymous, meeting feeling, has a purpose, how lovely. That was a feeling they wanted me to have. It wasn't just them running so many segments back to back, double writing themselves and that feeling was jokingly there. It's like, no, oh wait, no. This was on purpose there. Because at the end of the episode, the Bloodline shows up <laughs> and creates this huge kind of stink over the main event. I was a huge fan of that. And I realised something was set up and I didn't realise it hadn't been paid off yet. <laughs> that's something that I really like and I had such a nerdy reaction to Jimmy Uso coming out it's like oh oh that's what they meant okay I just assumed it was the main event <laughs> when Jimmy Uso left Roman's office back on Smackdown and it was just like oh I, yeah you, I know what I need to do and off he pops and this is under Roman Reigns' manipulation as well convincing Jimmy Uso that Jay Uso holding his tag titles as a slight on the bloodline been completely manipulated yet again. And the thing that works most for me is that you are seeing Jimmy be manipulated like he warned Jay Roman would do. It's good. <laughs> I like it. Even if Jimmy joining the bloodline for his own reasons didn't really make sense for me, the actions he's making whilst in the bloodline are making sense. And what I really like is quite possibly the next step for me is for Seth Rollins to have to face that reality. I'm a bit worried that his thing with Drew McIntyre is it's played for that heel for a slightly face dynamic where Seth Rollins is just kind of taking the piss out of the way that Drew McIntyre keeps going on about this thing. And often in WWE, when a character's going on about a thing, you have another character. You're talking about that a lot, aren't you, you loser? And it gets a reaction from the crowd. Way, whatever. And you can incorporate it in a story beat for your title feud. But for me, 
if you are telling that story of people are in recovery for the stuff that they've done with the bloodline and part of that is because the bloodline isn't letting them go someone like Seth Rollins who says things like he said in this one night raw episode just telling Jim McIntyre off telling him to just drop it why you keep going on about this just move on when in reality that is a mistake because the bloodline hasn't forgotten because the one match Seth Rollins had with Roman Reigns felt like a part one and they've left it. They've put it to the side. For me, it was a, an amazing match. Just the way the aura of that atmosphere in that Royal Rumble match. For them to just leave it. And for Seth Rollins to have these kind of react, this level of reaction. Just get genuinely annoyed at Jim McIntyre for not dropping it. That is a character beat that I'd really like to see followed up on. As in, Seth Rollins had that level of reaction to Drew for a reason bigger than he was trying to get reaction for crowd from the baddie of the story. <laughs> Which is what would happen under Vince. But what if he had that reaction because he's overcompensating for him not actually mentally moving on because he also wasn't able to defeat Roman. And if he overcompensates then also as well, that can lead into the situation we saw on this Raw where at the end of it, the bloodline made their mark. But part of me is like, you know what, it could also just be one line that got a reaction. It wasn't a character note at all. It was literally just a get a pop from the crowd line. <laughs> it's like, oh, that happens with wrestling sometimes. You pick on something like, oh, that's a really interesting note. And it wasn't even a note at all. <laughs> it was literally just said in the moment to get a reaction or to do a thing. And then you're just left there going, oh, oh, I fixated on that for a week for no reason. <laughs> like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Welcome to watching wrestling and especially WWE. Sometimes things just get dropped. Sometimes they were never rele relevant in the first place because you overread something. <laughs> that's the experience. But what we all know was a bloody brilliant might. The big boy Gunter versus Bronson in their big boy bash. Petey Williams produced this, so, you know, automatically the greatest match ever. Big boys having their big boy bash. Yeah, it was right up my alley. Absolutely loved it. What Gunter is doing with his Intercontinental Championship and the way that he's just creating that aura of prestige, it feels like that's what they wish the main event title on Monday Night Raw would be as well. The way that he reacts in his stories, the way that he presents himself, the way that he holds himself, the way that he, in his matches as well, it just works in elevating that championship, which is absolutely huge at this point where he's obviously broken records and he's now still feeling like a dominant champion and he's still having the best match of the night. <laughs> Things like this. It Oh, it just really works. Like obviously with Seth Rollins, I'm coming off of the Shinsuke feud, which, unfortunately, in ring, never clicked past a certain point. Like, the matches were fine, but they weren't, like, runaway establishing a title as, like, this great thing that of importance, levels of great, that they, I think they just wish the title felt like it had that. Intercontinental Championship has that in spades. Gunter's done an absolutely amazing job. And, of course, when I say Gunter, I also mean the production, the booking, the writing, all of that stuff. He's being presented, he's being filmed as a dominant champion. He's being written as a dominant champion, and it works. It's working so well, to that point where I don't want him to drop the belt. And part of that is just because that they, he's still having the match of the night, every single night. Why would I want him to drop it when his matches are so entertaining? Um, but yeah, this match with uh, Gunter, oh, so good. A re for me, there's one spot where he did his, they set up for his splash, but Gunter rolls out of the way, does his drop kick, which then leads into Gunter doing his splash. He actually hits it, Jonah kicks out. It's like, oh, it works on so many degrees. Gunter has normally used that as a, like, okay, I'm elevating the stakes here, level of move. But in this case, it felt very showman, which is very un-Gunter, which is the type of little crack in the armour you put when he's starting to gear towards maybe at least hinting of taking the title off of him. 
you start putting chinks in the armor and putting those cracks there. And for me, this is a great little sign. Like FTR were like a little massive of this, where in matches suddenly they started doing flips, and those flips became sudden. Like suddenly, that's a weak point that the other team can focus on. Like the unbooks would then focus on those points when they try to do a high fly move. When it comes to this, maybe this is a little thing, just a little note that here he turned showman for a minute <laughs> when he countered the splash. He went for his own splash to show him Jonah kicked out. Yes, it's a little note. Obviously, it then led into Jonah losing anyway. <laughs> but if you give him that little note there, that suddenly, oh, he can be prone now. Is he is he getting overconfident? He's no longer the just the the ring is sacred. I'm gonna treat it like this, super serious the entire time. A little bit of showman crept in. Or it could be as simple as it was just a cool spot <laughs> to have one do a splash, then it's reverse splash. So then technically if I'd gone to hitting this big move slightly earlier in the match to a kick out, we've also had Jonah kicking out of his own move. Like it's a double whammy, like it's just a spot that works really well. On to NXT. End of days by Baron Corbin. End of the cover. Of the net. Of the net. He's shot into the cover. Hayes. Yes. I may not think NXT is a very good show, <laughs> as it's probably going to become aware, especially as I, like, one day I'll finally have my NXT production event. But for me, it's, it's, it's that stage I was talking about last week in the first show. Do you want it to be a strong developmental or a good TV show? Because it feels like it can't be both. And this week, you had a really weird mix of, you had your, you got guys in the main event who are absolutely fine, you got cert, you got certain guys who are at the correct kind of slot slot in NXT. You've got guys who are nearly ready for the main roster in NXT. You've also got people who are not even ready for TV at all. <laughs> but but there's something there, but they're not ready for TV. Like pure developmental. At the moment, NXT is all of those boats, but it doesn't make for good TV. <laughs> like how long can NXT actually present stuff like that and still be like viewed as a good thing to book. I mean, as long as people are watching, like it's consistently getting like what five to six hundred thousand, and it's done really well since they started to integrate the main roster stars a lot more. Like, sure, maybe if they if they have to fly over a top star to go to NXT to get it to get a rating, then fine, whatever. If that then means for the rest of the show, you can then just do your developmental stuff. You can still do those, like the Bomb Breaker stuff, Carmelo Hayes are a bit more ready. And they can do things like the Women's Breakout Tournament where they're really not ready, but they're getting valuable experience. Like, you can do your balance. Doesn't mean it's a good TV show. <laughs> anyway, do the Women's Breakout Tournament. People like it, but it's not good. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good to watch. <laughs> for me, I, I'm generally a fan of NXT feeling like a developmental but I'd be lying if I said the breakout tournament matches are good TV. I'm watching two wrestlers in training on my television. Of course it's not slick. They're in training. Who on earth wants their in-practice matches televised? Like, the tournament's continuing, but it's like, it's the not-ready-for-TV eliminator. <laughs> like, I, I still love the breakouts, of, the concept of these breakouts. And I'm generally a fan of that developmental feeling. But it is not good television. <laughs> and it absolutely shows when you're watching these matches. This is the developmental feel of NXT. Like, for me, I don't mind just, like, a chill, relaxed time. Just watching some kind of, like, trainees just have a bit more basic matches, get to get some experience. That's absolutely fine. But it's not good television. <laughs> it's what it really confuses me about NXT. Like, which is it? Is it a show that is on cable television in front of hundreds of thousands of people, or is it a developmental to help their talent get experience? And it feels like they're trying to be both, but I'm not quite sure if it's detrimental or not. It's a, it's a weird one. I'm being thrown in on the deep end. But it, there are bright sparks in it. Ariana Grace's Miss NXT pageant queen character 
that we saw this week on the show is absolutely great. I loved it. I loved the way that she was carrying herself. Doing that, you, f- you could immediately tell she'd got some experience with this character, knew how to present herself, to hold herself, to dictate the way that she speaks. Everything, about the way that she talks to the crowd, the way she looks at the crowd, looks at the camera, all of it was absolutely nailed. Like she had this character down. The, the wrestling itself wasn't. <laughs> and this is just where I was just like, oh, that sucks, because the character was so good. Even though the character was nailed and well-practiced, the wrestling itself, I'm still watching people in training. And her presentation of her character was so good, I temporarily forgot that until I started wrestling. I was just like, oh, that sucks, because if that character was then backed up by a, a much more solid wrestling performance, just because they've been training a bit longer. As you can clearly see with a lot of the women in this tournament, there's a lot of progress in all of them. But obviously, it's early in their careers, early in their development. Of course it's not going to be slick. But the main event was Carmelo Hayes. This was all about him uh, the uh, kind of addition of Trick uh, Williams only for him to make the mistake of going to the most dangerous place in America the NXT parking lot and getting taken out of the match who attacked Trick Williams hopefully it's written a lot better than the previous NXT who attacked (laughs) storylines there's so many famous who attacked in the parking lot storylines we'll never know what happened to Samoa Joe and TNA this show in terms of the structure, in terms of the uh, promo of Carmelo Hayes, with the introduction of Trick Williams and then him in the main event, it was all about building him up for Ilya Dragunov. He got to hang with the tall lads. Yeah, it was a, it was a decent match in the main event. I, at one point, I was a massive fan of the way that it was booked to elevate Carmelo. Like, you know what? I think Baron Corbin's a great addition in this match because he's the straight man. It's like, it's like the way that you would structure a comedy a trio. You have the straight man, the boring one, but that's because he makes a funnier guy look even funnier <laughs> as he bounces off of them. Which means when you have Carmelo Hayes there as the athletic guy, he really shines in that role. And it makes Dijak stand out more as well because he's a bigger lad that can do more impressive things than the other bigger lad. It just There was even a This Is Awesome chant after a Baron Corbin move. Like, my God, you have produced this match well <laughs> when that happens. But for me, I really enjoyed the dynamic. The dynamic between all three of them just worked, especially in the way of elevating Carmelo to the Ilya Dragunov match. Plus, you got in the background of who attacked Trick. And it better not be Carmelo, because that feels boring. <laughs> boring and predictable. I've said before, sometimes boring and predictable isn't the worst thing in the world. But you have to make it make sense first. You can't reveal it and then make it make sense afterwards. No, no, give me the information beforehand for it to make sense for the character to have done it. And him getting the one contenders match isn't enough, because that for me, that's more of a plot point. I don't mean what made the plot point happen. I mean the character. Why did he do it? <laughs> why would it make sense for him to do it? Not what did he get out of it, but why would he do it? <laughs> They're two very different things. I'm not going to get into the difference between story and plot. <laughs> this is not the uh, not the time to do that, but that is definitely a topic which is uh, close to my heart at the moment with the way that the internet reviews movies. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, they're like, oh, the way the internet talks about film and things, and the amount of reviews I've watched on YouTube that just that just recap the plot. <laughs> I'm just like, well, what is, this is not how you talk about film. <laughs> anyway, tangent. That's a huge tangent, but it's a tangent I might keep in because it's something I genuinely <laughs> need to get off my chest in, in some form of something at some way. Anyway. That brings me evidently to the end of my NXT review as I drift off topic. But building block week for WWE really. Got Crown Jewel coming up. We've got Halloween Havoc the week after. Much more standard week. I've got a lot of positives in the main roster at the moment. It feels like there's a lot of positives and they're doing a lot of good building to get us to that Royal Rumble WrestleMania season. And I'm a fan seeing all those pieces fall and start to build the blocks that will be the structure for WrestleMania. But thank you for listening, uh, engaging in any form, any manner. Always appreciate it. Never take it for granted. Please do listen to the other shows here on the Social Studio Podcast network we have one nation radio with rich and james 
all things are, things elite with Floyd, keeping it strong style with Jeremy Donovan and uh, Joshua Smith. I think this week he's got Suit Williams instead of Josh. And of course, I'll be back around the same time next week. I'm trying to get these uploaded every Thursday, but as I'm doing a proper edit, there may be the odd week where I don't remember. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'll be back this time next week with another recap of the week of WWE that was. Uh, what do you make of it? You can follow me on Twitter at the damn implicator social suplex on Twitter as well. Please go there to get all of the shows here. With that, I bid you adieu. Adios. <laughs>